It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931-381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. Are you there? there we go. Oh, wow. wow. That was intense. Yeah. We welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, August 29th, 2013. Thank you for being a part of the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Craig Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Looking forward to what I think should be a, a pretty interesting discussion. And it will be the uh, strangest uh, discussion we've had so far. Look forward to your participation. Thank you for joining us live tonight. Uh, you can participate by joining in the chat room to the right of your video window. Uh, sign in there. Following the instructions at the bottom of the chat window, look forward to our listeners' participation there. There should be a lot of discussion in the chat room tonight. You'll surely want to be signed in there. And uh, we welcome your phone calls as well at 877-381-4567. You can email questions at collegeview.com. And if you're listening to us in the podcast version, we appreciate you for subscribing to our podcast and listening to it there. We welcome your comments anytime. Questions at collegeview.com is the way you participate. If you're listening to us, in the podcast version, you know, we're sort of out of date. I was uh, I was reading about podcasting last night uh, in a in an old paper newspaper that uh, you know, they still make those, and I was yeah. reading one. Okay. And uh, there were a lot of podcasting terminology I didn't know about uh, that I learned about in that uh, that paper. So maybe some of our listeners are tech savvy about podcasting. There may be something we need to uh, investigate about podcasting. So if we're not doing it avenue. right. If we're not doing it right, let us know if we can yeah, do it better. Yeah, something better. We could do. They, they mentioned something called Stitcher. I didn't know anything about that. I don't know anything about I, that I for thought sure. that's what you got when you fell down and skinned your knee or something. But, uh, no, that's a, some kind of podcasting thing, and so we may want to investigate that. So if you have any suggestions about podcasting, uh, uh, how we can improve that or how we can improve our broadcast. Uh, we know we are a little bit deficient in the smartphone area. Yeah. Uh, we don't. We're not very smartphone friendly. That could be because you and I both are still smarter than our phones. We we can't say that about most of our listeners. Yeah, we, we you still, and I are still dumb phone we, users. We're still smarter than our phones. So. Yeah. Uh, um, but anyhow, that's uh, we could use some help. I don't even know about that. My phone gave out on us just yeah, now, Jacob. Yeah, it did. We're trying, we're, to, we're get, trying to make let's, content. Let's talk about yeah, our what's subject matter. You try to call, video Jacob, video and video. I'm going to describe what we're planning to do tonight. Earlier today to our update list, and we always remind you, if you're not on our update list, uh, you can easily get added by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Put add me to the list in your subject line, and we'll do it. And every week on Thursday about midday, you'll get an update as to what our topic is going to be for discussion that night with some questions for discussion. So earlier today to our update list, I suggested that we want to do a deal with three subjects. Two of them are related to last week's study. In our study last week, we talked about the state of the dead. Where are the dead? What happens when you die? What, where do you go? Where does your spirit go? Where does your soul go when you die? Yes. Uh, we gave an explanation. Our good friend Troy, Troy Nicholson up in Hendersonville, uh, Tennessee, uh, had some difference with us yes. uh, in regards to that description of what happens after we die. And so we have invited him to discuss that with us on the program tonight. We were connected to him. I know what happened. We put, we talked to him and said, now it's going to go silent. You hold the phone regardless until we come back. And we hung up on him, and so he's holding the phone waiting for us to start talking to him. Oh. That's why he's not. And I don't know if he's here or not. Uh, are you there, Troy? I'm back. Oh, oh, he's back. Good. Yeah, yeah, Troy has right. joined yeah. us back. Okay. We thought we thought we had lost you there, yeah, Troy. Troy. We, we know we disconnected, but we're glad to have you back. Hang on a minute, Troy. We're going to talk about your subject just to give our listeners an update to where else we're going after we talk with Troy about his explanation of where are the dead, uh, we're going to, to deal with the question of purgatory that came up last week. Uh, our regular listener, Patrick, sent in some verses that he believes support or prove the notion of purgatory as it's taught by the Catholic Church. We want to look at those. And then in our last segment, Jacob, we're going to go way off the board. Uh, in our last segment, our regular listener, Sharon, in South Carolina, asked us to comment about Duck Dynasty. Duck Dynasty, 
I think probably everybody knows about Duck National. You you might not know too much about it, Jake, because you, you're not a TV person not, at all. I've never seen it, but I was in Walmart the other day and uh, walked. Oh, you can buy everything Duck Dynasty. Oh, it's all over the store. Hats, shirts, coolers, you name it. It's got Duck it Dynasty. It's all over the store. It's the, it is the most watched television show in America now. Uh, it's incredible. Okay. And so most everybody knows something about Duck Dynasty. Our regular listener, Sharon, uh, wrote in and said, Since Duck Dynasty is such a popular show, I'd like to hear some thoughts about the family. Are they building up the church or bringing reproach on the church? turns out that that family, the Robertsons from West Monroe, Louisiana, that are the subject of that show, Duck Dynasty, they're members of the Church of Christ down there. The old man, Phil, who started the Duck Dynasty and all the duck hunting and duck call making years ago, he, I understand, is an elder of the Church of Christ in West Monroe, Louisiana. We probably would disagree with them on several things. I think probably so, and we want to discuss that. So we'll hold that right, till the last go. segment. Yeah, that's we're really it's going to be quite uh, wide ranging. It is an ADD friendly uh, program tonight, so you want to stay tuned about that. Troy is on the phone from Henderson, Troy, our good friend Troy Tennessee. Nicholson, who yes. preaches for the Church of Christ in Hendersonville, yes. Tennessee, is on the line. And Troy, we want to turn this over to you for several minutes here to explain. Uh, what you see as the state of the dead, a little different than this what we is, talked we about talked last about week. We talked about last week, and uh, we yeah. said last week that we believe those who die go to the Hadean realm where Jesus went, uh, where uh, we believe is a, is a holding place for a departed. waiting place of departed spirits. Yes. Two spots in Hades, paradise and torment. As illustrated by the par- or the story of Rich Man and Lazarus. And we taught that, that souls... Go there now. Even those who die now go to Hades to await the resurrection and the final judgment. So we believe Hades is still there. Uh, Departed spirits are still there awaiting the Lord's return and the final resurrection and judgment. Now, uh, uh, we're going to go to you, Troy, because you see that a little differently. We want to hear about that. All right. Now, begin by saying I used to feel the same way that y'all do about it. This has come through other study, reading some other people's material, but I've come to this other conclusion. And, and uh, we, ought to start, we, ought to, we ought to start by saying, you know, the difference here is probably not all that substantial as far as, you know, what, you, what we believe on this. Uh, the scriptures are relatively limited in what they teach on it, and um, our understanding of that sh- isn't uh, necessarily too critical, I wouldn't think. Uh, Troy, you probably would agree with that. Uh, that uh, we wouldn't uh, fall out with each yeah, other right. over a disagreement on this subject, right, Troy? All right. I, I would I would put the main emphasis not on being concerned about what happens when we die, is being prepared when we die, wherever, wherever we have to go. Exactly to right. So exactly you. right. Go ahead. We, we keep interrupting you. Yeah, Take yeah, off. Go ahead. You got it now, Troy. I'm going to put right, the. Then I'm, I'm, go ahead. I, I want to begin with uh, looking at a few Old Testament passages. I know we may not have a lot of real differences there, but I think it helps lay the groundwork for some of the other things that that I want to consider when we get to the New Testament. And first of all, just asking the question as far as where are the righteous dead in the Old Testament. And there are several things that, that we find in Scripture, several ways that it's described where they go. One of them is the word Sheol that, that you've referred to, uh, basically defined or even translated in some versions as grave or pit. Uh, Job, the one past Job 17, 13 says, If I look for Sheol as my home, I make my bed in the darkness. And several other passages mention Sheol. Now, one thing that, that's interesting to me is the way that most people seem to feel about Sheol in the Old Testament. It never seemed to be described as a place that, that they look forward to going. Now, one example of that was with Hezekiah. Uh, Hezekiah, in Second Kings 20, uh, when he became seriously ill, was told he was going to die and prayed for God to spare him, and God did. And then we come over to Isaiah, and Isaiah 38, uh, first of all, look in verse 10, he said that, I said in the prime of my life, I shall go to the gates of Sheol. I'm deprived of the remainder of my years. And if you drop on down the context to verse 17, he says there, Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness, but you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, talking about Sheol, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. And so it wasn't a place that obviously he looked forward to going. He was very relieved not to have to go to, as he described it, a pit of corruption, a place of darkness. 
And even in the New Testament, I believe we have a reference to that in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15, when it, says, when it refers to, it says, And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And that seems to describe even the righteous dead in the Old Testament. When they talked about Sheol, none of them looked forward to going there. Uh, Job even, even though we know Job with his suffering got to the point that, that he wished he could die, but yet when he goes on to talk about it further in chapter 10, even as a terrible position as he was, condition he was physically, even he seemed to not look forward to death when he really stopped to think about it because he referred to it um, there in, in Job 10, uh, around verse 21, I'm at going to the place from which I shall not return, the land of darkness, shadow of death, a land as dark as darkness itself, and a shadow of death without any order, where even the light is like darkness. So as miserable as Job was physically on earth, even when he really stops to think about it, he has reservations about wanting to go to Sheol. Uh, another way, though, we just, we see described that the righteous dead, as far as where they went in the Old Testament, it talks about that they went to be with their fathers. We see this especially with the, the patriarchs like Abraham, uh, Jacob, uh, Joseph, uh, all of those that we see references. One with, um, in Genesis fifteen fifteen, God told Abraham, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You'll be buried at a good old age. And while there were times that, that those in the Old Testament were physically buried, their, their bodies buried with their fathers, uh, the language seems to refer in most instances to the place their soul went instead of their body. And again, we see that with Abraham, uh, with uh, Israel, uh, just about all of them. Uh, Deuteronomy 31:16, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you're about to lie down with your fathers. Well, obviously, physically, he wasn't going to lie down with his fathers because we don't even know where he ended up. But in a, uh, his soul, at least, was going to be lying down with his fathers. And again, we see other examples of that we could mention. And that, that's not only true of the, the righteous dead, but even the unrighteous dead in the Old Testament. In Psalm 49, in verse 19, it says, He shall go to the generation of his fathers, they will never see the light, and in that context, it's referring to the unrighteous. Uh, another term close to being with their fathers is it talks about that they died and that they were with their people, and that was said of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Genesis, that Abraham, in Genesis 25, 8, that he breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man and satisfied with life, and he was gathered to his people. Now, if you notice, just a couple verses later, verses 9 and 10, that his spirit was gathered before his body. So again, that term with their people is talking about the condition of their soul. So the, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, in, in the Old Testament we have the term Sheol, and it does appear to be uh, synonymous with that Hadean realm that we read about in the New Testament. Right, right. Now, is that your? Now, I want to make sure that's your position, Troy. Are are you? You're saying that that was how it was in the Old Testament, and it carried on into the time of Christ. Am I correct? Yes, that's correct. And and now you're gonna you're gonna talk about how it was in the time of Christ. But would you say that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and all of those of the Old Testament? experienced the same thing that Jesus describes in Luke 16 with the rich man and Lazarus? Yes. Okay. All right. All right. Go ahead. All right. We, let's go ahead and take a break. When we get back from the break, uh, we'll give Troy some more time. Uh, Troy, will then uh, we can talk about uh, the fact that uh, he believes that uh, Hades was done away with at Jesus' death. Uh, so we'll take a break. Appreciate you being here, Troy. Look forward to hearing your comments as well. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Enjoying the Virtual Bible Study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hi, I'm Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a suggestion for you and your family. 
why not turn off the TV on Thursday nights and gather the family around the computer for an hour of in-depth Bible study? The virtual Bible study always involves subjects of importance and interest to serious Bible students. So, why not join this Internet Bible study group every Thursday night? Here's some quotes worth pondering. When you wallow with pigs, expect to get dirty. Watch who you associate with. Temptations will often knock at your door. That's not your fault. It's your fault if you let them come in and linger. If a window of opportunity to do good appears, don't pull down the shade. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program. Uh, we're back on the program tonight, and we're talking about uh, Hades, a carryover from last week. With Troy from Hendersonville, contacted us with a differing opinion. We want to give him time to air his views. Thank you for being here, Troy. You were talking about the fact that uh, you believe Hades existed in the Old Testament. You believe it existed in the New Testament prior to Christ's death, but you think something changed uh, at Christ's death. Right, and one, one passage or, or group of passages, I believe, sort of ties that thought together as far as Hades or Sheol, the Old Testament, be the same as Hades in the New. Uh, in Acts 2, verse 27, Peter there quoted Psalm 16, 8, and Psalm 16, 8 contains the word Sheol, and he translated it as Hades. Oh, that's a good tie-in. That's a good tie-in. So Acts two twenty seven. Be, begins a quote from Psalm 16. Oh, various. And Psalm 16 uses the word Sheol, the Hebrew word, and in the New Testament, Peter used the word Hades, which would be the Greek equivalent. So Hades and Sheol are, that's a good place to show them to be parallel uh, in nature. That's an excellent point. I like that. Okay. All right. right. You, okay, go ahead, Troy. And as I've already pointed out, as far as the rich man refers to him in Hades there in Luke 16, and even Jesus in Acts 2, 27 and 31. And we also see the term paradise um, in the New Testament describing where people ended up. Uh, one famous one there, Luke 23, 43, when Jesus told the criminal, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Now, we already know that Jesus was in Hades when he died. So we would reason that paradise must be what we could call the, the reward part or reward side of Hades. Or in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, or in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, it was called Abraham's bosom. So Abraham's bosom or paradise is the comforted, comforting part of Hades. Right. Now, something happened at Jesus' death, you believe. Explain that. Right. Well, at the time of Jesus' death, first of all, one statement to consider, in, in Matthew sixteen eighteen. When Jesus asked Peter and the others, who, who do men say that I am? And Peter made the great confession about who Jesus was. He said, I also say to you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, the question would be, the gates of Hades shall not overpower or not over, prevail against what? I believe it would be against Christ building his church. And so Christ's death would not keep him from building his church. He was going to overcome death. In other words, Hades... Do you do you take that verse to mean that Hades would not hold him, that would it not prevent him from from uh, being? In other words, he's going to return from Hades and he's going to build his church. Right. Okay. It's not going to prevent that from happening. Right. Okay. And if we um, uh, going down, I'm trying to cut to a little bit for sake of time. Um, if we come on down to the death of Jesus. I believe it's another important time to consider the events there in Matthew 27. In verse 50, it talks about him crying out with a loud voice, yielding his spirit. And it talks about the veil of the temple being torn into, the rocks, uh, the, the tombs were opened, many bodies of saints had fallen asleep or raised. And it talks about them coming up out of the tombs after his resurrection, and they entered the city and appeared to many. Now, the, the tombs were opened, it seems to be, at the time of his death, and then they come forward from those tombs, when he was raised, uh, one, one question would be, why didn't they come out of the tombs immediately when the graves were open? Why did they wait till afterwards? And I'd say probably because uh, they weren't set free from Hades until he was freed from Hades. And that's why they came forth then. And also, if you notice that these are all saints, and I believe that's an important point, too. It wasn't just everybody, righteous and unrighteous, that were set free. It was only the saints. And it, but it seems like it's their situation is what really changed, their status changed with the death of Jesus. And if we think about paradise itself, 
Obviously, we read about paradise in Genesis 2:8 that paradise was there on earth, there in the Garden of Eden. But in Luke 23:43, Jesus told the criminal, "Today you will be with me in paradise." Can I stop you just a minute, Troy? Uh, uh, oh, you're reading in Matthew 27. You believe that the graves were opened, but the the the, the dead did not come out of them until his resurrection. You think the graves were opened at his death, and they, but they didn't come out at his resurrection? I, that's interesting. Is that is that the way you read uh, well, that? If you look at the other events, uh, verse 51 talks about the veil of the temple being torn in two. And my understanding's always been that happened when Jesus died. Yes. And as far as the rock splitting, all that took place when he died. Mm-hmm. In that same context, the tombs were opened. Okay. And so down through verse 52, everything seems to have happened at the time of Jesus' death. But then we come to verse 53, and it says, And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, okay. they entered the holy city. Okay. And so that's why I would say that they didn't actually come forth from the tombs until after his resurrection. Okay. All right, go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted. Oh, that, that, that's fine. And then I was talking about the location of paradise. Uh, Jesus talked about the criminal being with him in paradise. And when he was in Hades... And that's where the criminal found paradise. I don't think it was necessary just because of the location, because we saw paradise was on earth at one point when everything was fine and man was united with God on earth. I believe what really made it paradise was he was still with Christ. And we see in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about being caught up to the third heaven and described as being caught up into paradise. And most people seem to understand the third heaven is um, the heaven where God abides. And yet that's also where paradise now is in the presence of God. And Revelation 2, 7 tells us that to him who overcomes, I'll grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And I guess the question is, when, when does that happen? When, when do we return to the paradise, which is now in heaven with God? Now, the book of Hebrews that talks about a change that takes place. And the question that I would ask is, does this change only affect the uh, living, or would it also affect the dead? Uh, in Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 4, uh, if we look at that and read it with the idea of the righteous dead in mind, not only the living, uh, we'd see that those who died faithful to God under the old law uh, still died in an imperfect state, because no perfect sacrifice had been offered to remove their sin and make them perfect. Uh, we're going down to verse 5 through 10, uh, verse, also verse 14, Especially verse 14 talks about by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Well, who has been perfected and sanctified? Only the living or also the dead? And I would say that the faithful dead were made perfect, were sanctified when Christ died, as well as the living. And that's where we see the change when we come past the, the resurrection of Christ. Well, but Trey, we but Trey just, a, just, a, just a point of clarification there. We have been sanctified, but we're not in the we're not in the same place Christ is. I mean, the living have been sanctified, but that doesn't make it make us in heaven. Uh, just because the dead have been perfected or sanctified by the sacrifice of Jesus wouldn't necessitate that they are in His same presence in heaven. Would you agree? Right. Okay. Well, I would agree. I, I, what my point is that. There's something would have changed with their status. I'm not saying that that in itself would mean that they had to go to heaven and be with Christ, but something would have changed with their condition at that point. Okay, all right. And I'm saying my point is that, that, that because of the fact that a change had taken place, we know that from this passage. When we look at the other passages, to me it would make it easier to understand or to to see that the possibility of them actually being with Christ after that change had taken place. Not that, that, not that Hebrews would actually teach that that's what happened when the change took place. Okay, all right. So now let's, let's move quickly to the point. In other words, you're saying there's some, some indications of spiritual things changing. What's your, what's your strong proof that you believe that the, the righteous dead now are in heaven? Give us that in summary. Okay, well, one of the main differences I would go back to is the situation with the Old Testament. Everybody in the Old Testament, even the righteous, seemed to uh, dread death. There's something that they didn't look forward to. It's described as a gloomy place. 
But when we come past the resurrection of Christ, we find examples such as Stephen, who, uh, when we look at the context there in Acts 7, especially verses 54 through 59, Stephen clearly expected to be with Jesus at the time of his death. He doesn't talk about being with his fathers like the patriarchs had done. And even Jesus appeared to Stephen there, and I, I believe was in a way of anticipating receiving him when he breathed his last. Uh, because he talked about, Lord Jesus received my spirit. He didn't talk about Father Abraham received my spirit. Okay. And Paul, Paul is another one that sets forth the same in, in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verses 1 through 8. Uh, he talks about the status of the dead and what happens when we die. And I believe in there just trying to scan down through, especially if you drop down to verses 6 through 8, uh, he only mentions two situations for the faithful. He talks about that we can be here on earth in the body or with the Lord. He never mentions anything about any in-between place, uh, no Aden area or anything like that, like, like we would see with those in the Old Testament or even at the time of Christ. And then also in Philippians 1, he, he talks about um, the same situation. He describes two options, but they only... The only two choices for him are to remain in the flesh or depart and be with Christ. Okay, Troy, right here, could you, could you, uh, would it, would it be possible, would the language accommodate if I died and went to the comfort part of Hades, could, could that, would language allow, the language of the text allow that, even though I'm not in heaven, I'm in paradise in Hades, that I'm still with the Lord. Do you think? Do you can you not stretch the language enough in your mind to allow that explanation? In other words, I'm I'm with the Lord. In other words, I'm I'm in His safekeeping. I'm not in heaven, but I'm in paradise in Hades. But it's but the language would still allow it to mean I'm with the Lord. I'm in His I'm in His care and, and uh, uh, spiritual protection. I would come near allowing for that if there wasn't so much other evidence against it in Scripture. Okay. Like, again, with all with all the Old Testament deaths, nobody ever talked about being with the Lord when they were going to go to Hades. Everybody talked about being with their fathers. Nobody okay. ever looked forward to it. All right. It I, I, place. I think that's your strong argument. I think that's your strongest argument right there, Troy. Real quickly, because uh, we just got a couple of minutes left, you mentioned... Uh, uh, about in your outline, you mentioned that uh, um, Jesus is going to come with his saints uh, when he returns, First Thessalonians 3.13. That one doesn't prove as much to me because I could say, uh, I could write to someone up in Chicago and say, I'm coming with Troy. Well, you and I are not in the same starting spot, but we could come together and go to Chicago. You follow me? Uh, right. And so when it says in First Thessalonians three thirteen that he's coming with his saints, uh, uh, also in chapter four, First Thessalonians four fourteen, God will bring with him those who fall asleep in Jesus. That that to, to me doesn't necessarily make a strong case, but I think I, your strong case is Paul saying he has two options. I wanted to talk to you about First Thessalonians chapter four, if we could, uh, uh, Troy, quickly uh, in verse. Um, uh, 14, for we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. The idea that I get from that is that uh, the dead in Christ are not coming with the Lord literally uh, from heaven with him, but instead will be ri- raised from the dead and and we will meet with them and, and the Lord uh, together in the sky. Your understanding of that? Right, I understand what you're saying. Uh, as, as far as... How, how, do you explain, how do you explain it uh, if, if, hey, if they're already with them? How do you explain uh, that, that passage? If they're already with him, how would I explain it? Yes. Well, um, I don't have a perfect explanation for all of them. <laughs> we don't do that. That's okay. okay. Okay, real quickly, we're just out of time, Troy. We've got to move to another topic. But how do you explain – this is the one question. i got to get an answer, and then we got to go. 
uh, in Revelation 20, yes. when he says, uh, you know, the judgment scene that John sees there at the end of John of uh, Revelation chapter 20, he says the it talks about the judgment. The dead, the small and great, stand before the books are open. Another book is open, which is the book of life. The dead are judged out of those things which are written in the book according to their works. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and hell delivered. Death and Hades it, it, it delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to his works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Uh, real quick, I think I know what you're going to say, but t- tell us what you think that means when it says. And obviously, Hades is still in existence until the final judgment there. Uh, if if things have changed now and the righteous dead go to be with Jesus, what's your explanation about Hades in, in Revelation 20? Well, I guess it would be the same with any passage that would refer to Hades. That, As you mentioned, Hades, there's no indication of um, the unrighteous yeah. ever being removed from there. Okay, so I, I, I felt that's what you were going to say. That So Hades still exists for the unrighteous dead. They're still in torments or Tartarus. They're still being uh, being held as uh, along with the angels that sinned, Jude 3, Second uh, Peter 2, 4. They're still being held in a place of torment awaiting the final judgment, and that's the part of Hades that continues to exist to today. But the paradise part of Hades has been moved to heaven. Right. That would be my understanding. Okay. I, I see that. I tell you what I'm going to do, Troy. Uh, we're out of time, but if you, if it's okay with you, and I've got your outline here, and, and it's quite thorough, it, it, would, you be, would you be agreeable for me to forward that to anybody who would like to request it? Sure, that's fine. Okay, so if 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 you'd like a rather thorough outline that covers even a little bit more than what Troy was able to discuss with us here, if you will send me an email, questions at collegeview.com, and say, please send me Troy's outline, I will get that uh, to you so you can study it more thoroughly. Compliments of Troy. Uh, Troy Nicholson. Troy, thanks for being with us on the virtual Bible study. Very interesting. Right. Good scholarship. I appreciate all the work you've put into that. Well, thanks for the opportunity. And and, and, uh, Troy, in the chat room, Patrick says, I don't know is an acceptable answer, and John agrees that he likes that answer sometimes. And I think we have to conclude, uh, Troy, uh, that there are some things we don't know, some things we don't need to know. And uh, we'll find out uh, someday, Lord willing. Yeah. And I'm still open to to change if anybody can point out any holes in what I've said. Okay, thanks, Troy. We appreciate it a lot. Thanks for joining us on the virtual Bible study. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great evening. You too. Bye-bye. And uh, George in the chat room uh, has a little bit of a comment about our format. He says, uh, can the virtual Bible study at some point do an actual study of a section of Scripture and simply let it speak? I'm not opposed to having topical discussions and debates, but does it really have to be every single week? Well, and then to that, Tim says that the lecture format doesn't work uh, for this venue, uh, that that it needs to be more interactive. Well, yeah, I think, I, I mean, uh, there's a place for all kinds of studies. I think this format lends itself best to give and take. But, George, uh, 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 we appreciate the feedback. We, we'd be interested in uh, maybe a, a, a study that you'd like, uh, uh, a subject you'd like discussed, uh, maybe a scripture you'd like discussed, and we could consider that in a future edition. Uh, and maybe we could uh, maybe could elaborate on uh, on how that would work. We got to hustle, Jacob. We got to get to a break, and we're going to come back and talk about purgatory quickly. Purgatory. This one. This uh, is a topic that another listener disagreed with us. Uh, uh, Patrick in the chat room disagreed with us on uh, or with our view of purgatory. We'll talk about that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwen with this week's bullet point. The account of Jesus' temptation by Satan is very important for us to study. First, it teaches us that he was subject to temptation in all points, like as we are, Hebrews 4, verse 15. It's great to know that Jesus understands the things we face. Why? Because he has been there. Second, we learn that though tempted, he, quote, did no sin, 1 Peter 2, verse 22. This gives us the satisfaction of having a perfect sacrifice for our sins, and a greater gift than that has never been given. But again, third, studying the actual record of the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, beginning verse 1, we learn how Jesus overcame his temptations. Each time Satan approached him, Jesus replied, quote, it is written. His strength against temptation was the scriptures, and it must be our strength as well. Fourth and finally, consider a fact that's often overlooked. Matthew says, quote, then the devil leaveth him, chapter 4, verse 11. And we might assume that now Jesus would no longer need to deal with him. 
Not so. Luke says the devil, quote, departed from him for a season. Luke 4, verse 13. Or as one version has it, quote, he left him until an opportune time. Our point is simply this. As long as Jesus walked upon the earth, it was necessary for him to resist Satan. Satan was looking for every opportunity to tempt him. What does this tell us? It demonstrates that we can never let down our guard, that we must always be, quote, ready to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. Ephesians 6, verse 16. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's Word taught every Thursday night. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the program tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, where you can also find out information on how to podcast recent sermons that are presented through the College U Church of Christ. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Thanks again to Troy Nicholson for explaining his view of uh, Hades and where the dead are now. We appreciate that. Again, if you'd like Troy's outline so you can study that in further detail, it is a six-page outline with thorough scripture references. It's chock full of scripture. Uh, If you'd like that, uh, send an email to questions at collegeu.com, and we can send you that outline for your perusal. Now, on to a new topic. Oh, we're going to talk well, about a per- related topic, but it is new. Yeah, we got to hurry. We're really short on time tonight. We're just not going to get this all done, I'm afraid, Jacob. We're going to get uh, done, and a lot of people are hanging on for that Duck Dynasty. Okay, they well, real quickly, we've got to talk it. about purgatory. Do you okay. know what purgatory is? Here's the, here's the Catholic Encyclopedia on purgatory. Purgatory, from the Latin, purgare, to make clean, to purify. In accordance with the Catholic teaching, this is a place or condition of temporal punishment for those who, departing this life in God's grace, are not entirely free from venial faults. What is a venial fault? Uh, Well, it's not a mortal sin. It's Ah, a sin. That's right. They make a distinction in types types of sin. sin. Okay. Uh, And have not fully paid the satisfaction due to their transgressions. The faith of the church concerning purgatory is clearly expressed in the decree of union drawn up by the Council of Florence. Now, the Council of Florence met beginning in 1431. So 1,400 years after the church began, they decided to to talk about purgatory. And then also the decree of the Council of Trent, which began meeting in 1545. So we're talking 1,500 years after Christ, the doctrine of purgatory was established by the Catholic Church. Okay. Uh, Temporal punishment is due to sin, even even after the sin itself has been pardoned by God. This is clearly teaching Scripture. In other words, there has to be a punishment for sin, even if you've been forgiven of sins. God requires satisfaction and will punish sin, and this doctrine involves, as its necessary consequence, a belief that the sinner failing to do penance in this life may be punished in another world and yet not cast off eternally from God. Uh Uh-huh. All sins are not equal before God, nor dare anyone assert that the daily faults of human frailty will be punished with the same severity that is meted out to serious violations of God's law. On the other hand, whoever comes into God's presence must be perfectly pure, for for in the strictest sense his eyes are too pure to behold evil, Habakkuk 1.13. For unrepented venial faults for the payment of temporal punishment due to sin at the time of death, the church has always taught the doctrine of purgatory. Okay. the Catholic doctrine of purgatory supposes that the fact that some die with smaller faults, for which there has been no true repentance, and also the fact that the temporal penalty due to sin is not is at times not wholly paid in this life. The proofs of the Catholic position, both in Scripture and in tradition, are bound up also in the practice of praying for the dead. Why pray for the dead if there is no belief in the power of prayer to afford solace to those who as yet are excluded from the sight of God? So true is this position that prayers for the dead and the existence of a place of purgatory are mentioned in conjunction with the oldest passages of the fathers. Notice he didn't say it's... Uh, it I doesn't say where we saw the prayers for the dead. I didn't it, see it in the New it, Testament. The, the church fathers, uninspired writers, mentioned prayers for the dead and purgatory. It's not in Scripture. So, I mean, it, it's sort of interesting that the Catholic Encyclopedia acknowledges that this was a doctrine that came up centuries after the church began uh, and is is rooted in the teaching of the Catholic Church and not in the Bible. Now, to defend the idea of purgatory, there were a few passages mentioned in the Catholic Encyclopedia, and uh, Patrick in the chat room last week supplied a few others. Okay, we're going to deal. We don't have time to deal with them all. We're real short on time, but I do want to deal with the three that Patrick posed in the in the chat room last week. Yes, First Corinthians three ten through fifteen. Here's what here's what the Catholic Encyclopedia says about. 1 Corinthians 13, 3, 3, 3, beginning verse 11. 
For no other, for other foundation can no man lay but that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be manifest, for the day of the Lord shall declare it, because it shall be revealed in fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work burn, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. The Catholic Encyclopedia says, while this passage presents considerable difficulty, in other words, they're saying, it's hard to understand. It's a hard to understand. They're basing a whole doctrine on a hard-to-understand text. He says, while this passage presents considerable difficulty, it is regarded by many of the fathers and theologians as evidence for the existence of an intermediate state in which the dross of lighter transgressions will be burned away and the soul thus purified will be saved. I'm going to tell you, I don't see that in that text at all. It is all. a figurative passage without any... Uh, well, the, in, the very, the, in the very passage, Paul had said up there in verse 6... I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth increase. He that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive of his own reward according to his own. In other words, he's talking about our work we do in spreading the gospel and bringing converts to Christ. So in that context, he says, verse 13, every man's work will be manifest. The day will declare it. It shall be revealed by fire. The fire shall try every man's work, what sort it is. In other words, how good a work have I done of teaching and converting others, bringing the gospel to the lost? In other words, my work is going to be tried. If If I've been effective and been able to teach and convert some people... And yes. they turn out to be true and legitimate Christians. It'll be proved in the day. Yes. Uh, if, if on the other hand, some of the people that I taught and tried to bring to Christ are not faithful and they are lost, then I will suffer at that. I don't, I don't want to think that that would happen. That would, that would be hurtful to me to think that that would be the case. I won't be lost because of it, but my work won't endure. Yes. And that's the context of 1 Corinthians 13. It's not talking about my sins. It's talking about my work in leading other people to Christ. That's the context of 1 Corinthians 3. All right. All right. Uh, Patrick also mentioned another passage. He presented uh, first, uh, Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26. Of course, this is from the Sermon on the Mount. Correct. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, he said, uh, verse for, two really two sections here. In verse 21 and 22, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. Whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger uh, of the ju- Excuse me. I say, I say to you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Rachel, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. In verse 22, he mentions judgment, the council, and hell fire. Yes. The judgment and the counsel were men's judgment against a person who would do these things. Yes. The final judgment or hell fire is God's judgment against yes. them. So that verse, in that verse, Jesus is saying you, you, you could be held accountable by men, but the real danger is to be held accountable by God. Again, and that word is, is the word there for uh, hell is, uh, is hell. And yeah. It's Gehenna. And, but but the, the, the judgment and the counsel are men's right. determinations. Right. And then he goes he's saying, on. He's saying, you, you, you do this, you can do a couple things, but you do this, you're going to be, have to answer to God. Yeah. And then in verse 23, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, go thy way and first be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thy adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time thy adversary deliver thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say to thee, thou shalt not come out or by no means come out thence till thou hast paid to the uttermost farthing. Uh, Jesus there is saying, you know, I'm trying to worship God, but I got a fault with my brother. I need to correct that fault with my brother so I can worship God acceptably. And then he just uses an analogy. It's always best to correct your controversy with others before it escalates to another level. That's all he's saying there. In other words, the point is in verse 23. If I come to worship God and know that my brother has ought against me, I need to go correct that so I can worship God acceptably. And then he just illustrates the point that it's always best to resolve your issues with others before they escalate to another level. Right. That's all he's saying there. There's nothing in that about purgatory. There's nothing in that about after death. If it was talking, yeah, okay. All right, let's go on. He also referenced 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. For Christ also suffered once for sins, 
the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. Jesus preached to souls who were in prison. Yeah, but it doesn't say how that he did that. Uh, in other words, the, there was a time when those who were... Uh, there was it doesn't say how this was done but but there was preaching done to spirits in prison which were disobedient when the long suffering god waited in the days of noah well uh we understand that noah in second peter chapter 2 um in second peter chapter 2 verse 5 it calls noah a preacher of righteousness uh bringing in the flood of, of, upon the world of the unrighteous I don't think this is saying that Jesus himself went and preached personally in the location of Hades, that he went there and preached to the people who were in Hades. What purpose would there be in that? You can't. We studied last week, Abraham said you can't change your status once you've arrived in Hades. If you're in paradise or in torment, there's a great gulf fixed in between. You can't pass, you can't pass back. What, what value would there have been to preaching to saints or to, to, to dead folks? In Hades, okay. I think this is just saying that the, that the Lord has always proclaimed His message, even to those who were disobedient in the days of Noah. They heard the message. Uh, they were in the they were in sin. Uh, what's it say? Um, well, I've got the wrong I've got the wrong opening here. I'm trying to read it, and it's not there. Um, he says he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which were sometimes disobedient. When the long-suffering God waited in the days of Noah. That actually tells when it took place in the days of Noah while God was waiting before he sent the flood. But I don't think it's talking about him going to the Hadean realm and preaching to dead people who were already there. Do you believe the by whom uh, is referring to the Spirit? Where Where's that? In verse 19. By which? Uh, or by, by which? Quickened by the Spirit. By which? In other words, the Spirit. By the Spirit, those saints were taught. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was inspired of God to preach the message uh, of God to the disobedient people of his day. Okay. All right. Interesting. I think that's and John it. seems to agree with that uh, and appreciates that. Okay. We need. Okay. To... Here's what we're okay, going to okay. do. Okay. Now, but, uh, but purgatory has some problems, as you mentioned. The idea that you could change your state after this life is over. Uh, Hebrews tells us a point of men wants to die, and after this, the judgment. Uh... I want to be fair with Patrick, okay, and he has written. He has taken okay, the time yes. to write us a long okay. email. We do not have time to read it all tonight. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to make another offer. Uh, Patrick has got a, 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 an opposing view on purgatory. Patrick is a Catholic, and he has given us a defense of those passages uh, in a long email that we don't have time to cover tonight. Here's what I'll do. Okay. I will also forward to you Patrick's email about purgatory. In other words, he, he, he's trying to dis- explain those passages from a Catholic perspective to defend the principle of purgatory. Uh, we obviously disagree on that, but I want to be fair with Patrick. I will, if you're interested in in studying those passages from the perspective that that uh, Patrick has proposed, yeah. I will uh, you send me an email uh, and just say I'd like to read what Patrick has to this say. This reminded me a whole lot like school. It sounds like homework. We got summer reading here. Or something. Yeah, we got a, got a reading program. All right, but we got to do that because we're just so short on time, and we we we. And, and I think a lot of people are interested in commenting about Doug Dynasty. We're going, we 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 probably bit off more than we All could right. reasonably chew tonight, but we're going to go to that. They want we'll to, hear, they to want hear what the quacks have to say about Doug Dynasty, and we'll talk about that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study goes to the top of the hour right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. 
That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A survey by the Barna Group found that 88% of Americans own a Bible, 80% think the Bible is sacred, and the average household has 4.4 Bibles. However, the majority, 57%, only read their Bibles four times a year or less, and a majority, 57% of those who are ages 18 through 28, read their Bibles less than three times per year, if at all. That information is via the Religion News Service. The Word of God says in 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight, and, uh, well, the program's taking a left turn here, and, uh, well, it may go down. You know, he's kind of, Patrick's in the chat room. He says there's, there's lots of time to study when you don't watch TV. And so uh, I think you're right, Patrick. He's talking about the fact we are going to now quickly talk about this very popular TV show, Duck Dynasty. Yes. The most, I'm reading that it's the most watched program on television. Sharon uh, wants to know. And Sharon wants to know, do you think it's building up the church or bringing reproach on the church? We mentioned at the outset, this this group of characters on Duck Dynasty apparently are members of the Church of Christ in West Monroe, Louisiana, and, they, and the uh, sort of the patriarch of the family, Phil Robertson, uh, is uh, I think an elder of the church there. They go around and speak at at religious meetings of all sorts, um, and and we really want to hear what you think about whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. All right, let us know your thoughts in the chat room. You can sign in. This one is not. Uh, this is not a very deep subject, so you can just yeah. chime in quickly in the chat room. Good or bad? Duck Dynasty. I don't know. Patrick and I are in the same boat. We don't know anything about it or never seen it. Uh, so, uh, there you go. Well, I, 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 I gotta say, I'm not a fan and, and you I don't would, like the show. I've, I'm not a fan of the show. I've not watched very much, but I've seen just clips of it. I, I can't sit still to watch through the whole thing. It's just, it's just not in my, it's, it's not, not in, your, it's not your, it's thing. not my thing for sure. I've heard other people can't, they don't understand. But, but let me give you an example of, okay. of something I saw, uh, okay. just a part of an episode last year, uh, the granddaughter, one of the granddaughters, was going to the prom, and it, the, most of the episode was about her dad, one of the principal stars of the show, Willie. Willie's daughter was going to the prom, and Willie was upset when he saw the dress she was going to wear, very immodest, Willie, and, and he yeah. was determined that he was going to help her get a more modest. Well, it was about going and shopping for dresses and, and all the things that the mother and the daughter wanted her to wear, which were... But then they finally agreed on one that was still outrageously immodest. Uh, and they went to the prom. And they went to the prom. Okay. You know, so, you know, to me, for it to be known that these people are associated with the Church of Christ and for that kind of stuff that we wouldn't we wouldn't agree with that anything about that. Uh, then another episode last year, they went to Hawaii, a lot of immodest dress. I think last night I saw just a clip that Is was... Is this thing on every night? No, it's on once a week, but okay. then they but they play reruns all the time. Okay, okay. okay. Uh, last night, one of the workers in the duck call factory got a hot tub, and they showed him practically naked jumping into his hot tub. I think there's a whole lot of stuff there that we don't want to be associated with at all. Well, John says it's not a bad show. They should not be viewed as an example of the true representation of members of the church, though. And guest 883 says he seems to think that they use foul language. Have you heard foul language on the show? Uh, They probably use some language that we wouldn't be comfortable with. I don't know that I've ever heard them just come out with cuss words. All right. Uh, Okay, Kevin says he used to... Again, I haven't watched that much of it. Kevin says he used to live not too far away from the church where their members, and there was quite a bit of weak teaching coming from that congregation. Um, uh, So... He says that's the congregation where Phil is one of the 12 elders. Okay. Uh, You know, there's an expression that Paul used in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he was talking about widows and doing and the and the potential the widows might do some things that were wrong, and he says that if they did they would give. Uh, he says we should be careful. Give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. 
Yeah. You know, I'm afraid that's what happens, you know. Uh, it just takes a little. When they, when, yeah, it doesn't take much. And these and guys are doing yeah. enough stuff that I think that it, it is I, – if I was going to answer Sharon's question, I think they're bringing reproach on the church. I I, I would rather not have that. That's sort of like, you know, there's there's some people that I don't want – I don't need publicity from some people. Well, you G, know. Yeah, G, uh, Jesus didn't need it uh, yeah. from the – You know, uh, when the, the when demon-possessed, the demon-possessed yeah. people – yeah. And when the demons tried to profess who Jesus was, he silenced them. He didn't need them yeah. advertising his cause. Right. And we, I don't think we need Duck Dynasty advertising our cause. I, I, we're miles apart from those guys. I mean, I respect the fact that they, uh, you know, for instance, recently the old man Phil Robertson came out, ve- made a very powerful pro-life statement. It was on a lot of the news sources on the Internet last week. Yeah. And he, he very powerfully spoke to uh, against... Right. Abortion. Right. Well, that's great. I'm all for that. But I, there's a lot of issues that we'd be miles and miles apart. And I, I, I just don't personally. I don't feel like we need his advertising. I had a similar passage brought up. First uh, Timothy chapter four verse twelve. Paul's instruction to Timothy: Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. And they are not an example that they should be in certain areas. Apparently, from what you've said, but that is no different. They're no different than we are in our lives, Dad. When we uh, are inconsistent, when we don't live as we should, when we don't use language as we should, we go places that we shouldn't, we allow things, we compromise where we shouldn't, we're just, uh, well, maybe not on the same scale, but we are bringing reproach on the church as anyone does. They just happen to be under the magnifying glass. Yeah, but they, it's a self-invited magnifying okay, glass, right. too. In other words, they have put themselves in the public spotlight. Yes. And and so their actions are going to be be viewed by millions of people. You and I, we, you right. know, but a couple it, dozen it, people might see what we do. That's right. And but it doesn't excuse us from setting a bad, example. a bad example. For but in the case of these individuals, uh, their example is magnified and multiplied by the millions. All right. The chat room is, uh, is a buzz here. Uh, John says, with everything that's on TV today, I would rather folks watch this show than the one with the... Honey Boo Boo? Yeah. yeah I don't know about that one. Yeah. Uh, I, what, agree. What honey... I don't think anybody should ever want to watch Honey Boo Boo. Who's Honey Boo Boo? Oh, uh, you don't, we don't have any time to okay. describe All that. All right. We don't do that. Uh, <laughs> Kevin says there has been drinking, dancing, immodesty, and other things that a Christian ought not to do. Even gambling, one episode, John says. Uh, Patrick said, I'd like to see, the sh- see a show on the Prosperity Gospel Word of Faith movement. I watched nearly four-hour seminar by Justin Peters called Call for Discernment, which was very eye-opening. Patrick, was that for or against the prosperity gospel? I don't, okay. I don't know. Oh, that, so that's not, okay, off, that's off subject. Oh, oh, no, he goes on. He Patrick answers that, or he says it was very thorough and quite disturbing about just how erroneous that movement is. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Kevin says uh, some of the best examples on TV, but also some of the best examples on TV, but also shows us that our pattern should be God's word, not the tube. Yeah, okay. yeah, I think that's right. All right. Uh, uh, there, there, there are good ways that we can influence people positively, uh, and they're doing and good things. But just doing good things isn't—I mean, some things good and other things bad doesn't make make it all right. Yeah. All right. Well, we're out of time. But Jacob, to remember, I got two offers out there to you. Send me an email to questions at collegeview.com if you want Troy's outline on where are the dead. A little different than what we presented last week, uh, uh, but he's done a thorough job of presenting his case, and we'd be glad to forward that to you. Also. If you'd like to get Patrick's email, he wrote a long, lengthy essay tonight uh, using those same three passages. From his perspective, he thinks they do, they defend the notion of pur- purgatory, and we'd be glad to send you for you to forward you that email so you can. We didn't have time to read all of that, but it would be something you could study more thoroughly. All right, Patrick wants us to do a show on the prosperity gospel or the Word of Faith movement. That's a suggestion. We want your suggestions as well. Send you know, actually, in. we have done that in the past, Jacob. There's there, in our archives. There's a program on the health and wealth gospels. Yeah. So, okay. if, but we we we, we could we revisit could do it that. Again. We could revisit we could that do it again. again. That's a good one. Um, and uh, but we want your topics as well. Send them into questions at collegeview.com. We'll put them in the list and we'll consider them for uh, discussion on a future edition of the program. George says we need to do. More expository type programs. We might do one of those as well. So, George, if you got a topic you'd like to discuss, we can talk about that. Send us your ideas. Questions at collegeview.com. Dad, it's been a busy hour. Time. Catch Kev, your breath. It's been a it's busy, busy hour. Kevin is tired. Yeah, I'm too. Well, I don't know if that's tired because we're boring or tired because we t- we went so fast. 
It could be interpreted either way. He was <laughs> not explicit. <laughs> Probably both. All right. Thank you for your time, Dad. Thanks, Jacob. Jack has been behind the controls. First nine behind hey, the we controls. Hey, got we got a newbie behind the controls. And uh, glitch-free. No, no issues, Jack. Good job. Thank you for being uh, here, Jack. And, and uh, actually, I see Jeffrey in the chat room. Jeffrey's one of our regular board operators who's gone off to college. He's over in Cookville, Tennessee tonight. Uh, good to see you in the chat room, Jeff. Thank you for being there. Jeff, thank you to all our listeners for being there. And I hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.